The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Um, and good morning and welcome to our last Zazenkai before summer ongo. And uh, we have a very intimate group today, um, both online and in person. And I have to say, I kind of like it, you know. In person, we're, we're kind of bumbling through our service positions and it makes it kind of a, a low stress way to bumble. We're bumbling safely all together. But, you know, that's kind of, I don't know, that's kind of how I felt like my whole practice has been just bumbling forward one step at a time, you know, bumbling through this world the best way that we can, with the best wisdom that we have. And, um, and I'm just really so grateful to have this place in practice, to have this Sangha to sit with. And to be able to come here to our physical zendo. And also, you know, if I'm at home, being able to roll out of bed and sit online with people in California, in Canada, and Germany. It's really amazing how the tendrils of the village zendo have just spread out throughout the last couple of years. And, you know, there's no going back. Um, in this world of Dharma 2.0, which we're still figuring it out. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's here to stay and our, our worldwide reach and this forever creeping practice, it's always growing. And it's really just amazing to see. And, you know, when we first started online practice, Josh and Roshi um, described our online sangha and online retreat as bringing the monastery into our homes. And I still see it that way. You know, we're bringing Indra's blade of grass, the monastery, we're bringing it wherever we are, you know, whether it's here, whether it's on retreat at the wisdom house or whether at home, you know, it's such a great reminder that we always have a home to return to. And when we're sitting Zazen Kai, or when we're just sitting Zazen at home, that home is always right here with every breath. There's always refuge in this moment. And I'm not saying that refuge is necessarily comfortable. Anyone that's sought, that sat meditation for 10 minutes knows that it's not always comfortable. And it's actually a really courageous practice to sit here, no distractions, and to face our life very directly. And I'll admit, for me personally, it's been terrifying at times, and lately especially. You know, especially to turn on the news and to feel like the world is on fire. 
to notice the discomfort and the suffering that's happening, you know, right in here, you know. It's a lot to, a lot to be with, a lot to navigate, both in here and when we walk out those doors. But this repetitive action of coming back right here, we get more comfortable with what it, what is it or what it is to take refuge in our own lives, however it looks right now in this moment. So today we sit Zazen Kai. And in a week, we begin our summer ongo, which is our three-month intensive practice period, where we commit to really looking inward, deepening our concentration, deepening our awareness, deep entering more fully into our lives. And ongo, the way we translate it, is peaceful dwelling. And I always found that really interesting because, you know, personally, I find when I really intensify my practice, things start to get very uncomfortable. It does not feel like a peaceful dwelling at all. So I want to take a look at that. So what is peaceful dwelling? Is peaceful dwelling some separate place that we go to? When we're at Wisdom House, is that peaceful dwelling? When we're sitting on our cushion, is that the place where peaceful dwelling is? Is it something that we're doing over there? Or is peaceful dwelling something that we bring into ourselves, an inclusion of our lives, an inclusion of this burning world. These days, especially, it's easy to fall into thinking of our seated practice, and even as to shin as kind of a, a salve for our lives. And it kind of is. It's soothing and it is healing. But there's the danger of falling into the thinking of practice as kind of a topical ointment, a layer upon, upon our lives, a layer on top of our experience, like an Advil almost, like Advil meditation. And we all hear it, you know, when someone says, I've been so stressed out lately, I really need to meditate, you know. Or if I only meditated more, then, then fill in the blank. It's Advil meditation. And especially nowadays, since mindfulness is, um, you know, in the mainstream, and corporations have found out that they can monetize very successfully on, on mindfulness meditation. You know, Advil meditation, you just pop that pill 
find relief from our lives. And for a lot of people, that's as far as they'll go. And it's exactly what they need. And that's perfectly okay and valid. But as Zen practitioners, we don't have it so easy. We're encouraged to go a little bit deeper. We're encouraged to see practice not as relief from our lives, but entering into our lives more fully, however comfortable or uncomfortable that is. Not running from life and circumstance, but needing it more fully. And in a world that feels like it's on fire, it can feel like practice occurs in contrast to what's happening out there. That the realization and the enlightenment that we move towards, it's happening despite the world. It's happening despite oppression and war and mass shootings. Happening despite the suffering that we see that we might be feeling in here. And it is part of it. The thing that we do here on the cushion does happen in spite of all that. But to leave it at that would be to confine practice to something separate from our lives. It's still a going over there to experience a separate thing. It's still an Advil. But after we've sat for a while, we find that practice isn't something that happens over there or here at the Zendo or at Wisdom House or on Zoom. It's not separate from our moment to moment life. And we start to recognize how running from suffering isn't the answer. And it's actually pretty exhausting. Relief from suffering isn't about trying to escape it. That'd be like trying to escape our own lives. We'd miss out on our own lives. Escape, I think, is antithetical to Zen. There's only entering into our lives, however that looks, more fully. And I think that it's in that, it's in the entering that we expand our own boundaries, our own being. And we can hold this burning world, but also our joy and all the other things in our lives. <laughs> My own life over the last few months has been filled with a lot of discomfort and difficulty that I've been trying to escape. I've been working in a new career as an EMT in an ambulance. And I've never 
in my life experienced such sustained fear and anxiety, almost debilitating at times. In emergency medical services, they throw you right in the deep end. Sagan knows. And we're, we're, we're taught the theory and the practical skills in school, but then the real training only happens out in the street. It only happens when it happens at me. So when I walk into an apartment and someone is drowning in the fluid of their own lungs, that training happens right there. When a person on the subway is simultaneously having seizures, a psychiatric emergency, and also trying to throw their vomit at me, a uh, true story, um, there's no training for that other than it happening. So in an ambulance, we never know what we're being dispatched to. We never know what situation we're walking into, whether it's safe, whether it's not safe. And we never get accurate information from dispatch. So a call for a fever might be a cardiac arrest. A call for an intoxicated person might be an unconscious drug overdose. And an abdominal pain might be a violent psychiatric emergency. So I've been dealing with a lot of fear of the unknown. Anxiety over the high stakes of my work. <laughs> Having the lives of people in my hands. And in a lot of cases, figuring it out and winging it as they go along. So a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. The things I've seen on the streets in the short time that I've been working, I don't wanna use the word trauma. I think it's thrown, out, thrown around a lot, but there is a level of trauma or this bar for trauma gets raised. So what would normally a few months ago have been a crazy experience for me, I'm experiencing daily. But there's a really funny thing that happens is when I'm in the moment, when I'm working, when I'm in the ambulance or in a patient care interaction, there's a feeling that I can handle it. Not that I have some misplaced sense of confidence, but there's a feeling of being comfortable with the uncomfortable. There's a feeling of being okay with the fear, of being okay with the anxiety. When I'm working, I feel like I got this, even if I don't really got this. When I'm in it fully, it's not that the fear and anxiety drop away, it's that I don't have time to run from it. There's only time for immediate action. And I really think it's my Zen practice that's 
train me to be able to meet these moments of intense stress, fear, and anxiety, and to be able to be with that, and then to take action. There is, of course, a koan about this. There's always a koan about this. A monk asked Tozan, when cold and heat come, how can we avoid them? Tozan said, why don't you go to the place where there is no cold and heat? The monk said, what is the place where there is no cold or heat? And Tozan said, when it's cold, the cold kills you. When it's hot, the heat kills you. So this monk is asking Tozan, how do we avoid hot and cold? How do we avoid discomfort, suffering? And it's a question we all ask. And it's the question a lot of people come to practice looking for answers for. How do I get away from my suffering? And Tozan says very directly, go exactly and fully to that place. While I'm working, there's no time to run. No time to run from my fear and anxiety. No time to overthink it. Only time to respond. There's only time to go exactly and fully where the cold and the heat will kill me. And when I'm dispatched to a call and I, I really allow myself to go right there, to go right where my fear and anxiety is, I, I start to discover something about it and that, you know, they're, they're no longer one dimensional bogeymen that I need to run away from. But the anxiety that I feel in my belly is also mixed with an excitement, almost like a little caffeine jolt. And the fear that I might feel in my chest is also mixed with adrenaline. An alertness as my body prepares me for whatever I'm about to experience. So these feelings that I dismissed as scary, you know, anxiety and fear, when I really experience it, it's many layered, multicolored. And there's some wisdom in there. Going directly to that place of hot or cold, there's a richness of experience that I would miss out on if I were trying to hide and run away. There's a wakefulness that I would be asleep to. The funny thing is, it's when I'm not working that the fear and anxiety become overwhelming. It's when I'm at, my, at home and I have time to twiddle my thumbs that I start weaving together every crazy possible scenario in which 
I'm going to fail and fuck it all up. But even then, when I find my mind doing these things, I can go to that place of hot and cold. What's the wisdom in this experience? How does this anxiety feel in my body? How does the, feel, the fear feel in my body? Isn't it interesting and kind of funny and ridiculous the way my mind works? These fictional stories I'm creating to terrify myself. And when I can recognize what's happening, I can see it, even see a little bit of humor in it. So I think it's going to that place of hot and cold, at least for myself, where I'm, I'm starting to maybe understand what peaceful dwelling might look like in a world that's burning. I think about equanimity, which is also thrown around a lot in Zen. And in the dictionary, it's defined as mental calmness, composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. So equanimity isn't peace in the absence of difficulty. It's peace in the midst of difficulty. And I think by going to that place of difficulty, of hot and cold, that we can expand our boundaries of our comfort. We expand and we can hold more within our experience. And so that fear isn't so scary and we, we, we start to see all the different parts of it that can actually help us. Standing right in the middle of it all. No running, no hiding. And we're big enough for all of it. Buddhism is often referred to as the middle path. In the story of the Buddha, he went from extreme wealth and comfort to extreme asceticism, searching for his freedom. And he discovered that it lay in the middle, in between the two extremes. And if we take this idea of the middle path a little bit deeper, we find that the middle path isn't about external circumstances. It isn't about perpetually arranging our lives in a certain way so that we can stand in some arbitrary middle. That's still kind of an external view of things, still arranging external factors to fit how we would like things to be. But after practicing for a while, we can start to find that wherever we are is the middle. Wherever we are is the middle path. By going fully into the middle of hot or cold, we go to that place where there is no hot and cold. 
and the middle starts to become everywhere because we you know, get this nimbleness, this flexibility. So this middle isn't the absence of difficulty, the absence of suffering. It's full, it's saturated, and we're big enough to hold all of it. To run from my anxiety and my fear, that would be like trying to run from my own life. But there's no other life to live than this one that we have. However ugly or pretty or in between it looks. And of course I say that and I have to add a little asterisk and a little footnote because there's always an asterisk. Because in, I think in spiritual practices especially, it's really easy to gaslight ourselves into thinking that we have to be able to work with every situation and that we have to find happiness in every circumstance. And that if we don't, that means our practice is flawed somehow. Our practice isn't strong enough. But it's not about wallowing in suffering or difficulty as much as I love to martyr myself that way. There's the wisdom of facing our suffering directly and also the wisdom of understanding when we need to make a change. There's meeting our lives and then taking action. A friend of mine gave me great advice. If I don't like eating eggplant, why force myself to keep eating it? And as much as I've learned and experienced as an EMT, I'm also discovering that, at least in the 911 emergency system, it's not my career path. Yeah, I just don't have the emotional fortitude. And after experiencing so directly the brokenness of our healthcare system and this uncompassionate system that fails our most vulnerable, fails our most discarded members of society, I'm finding out that there's other better ways that I can use my skills to support others. And that, that, was, that was a very difficult situation to come to, to allow myself to say, this isn't for me. Because there's all those stories that I was telling myself that I'm a failure, that this is a character flaw because I can't stick with it. But when I allowed those stories to drop, that decision was really empowering and really freeing. You know, I confined myself to this little box that I 
had to do this thing that I was committed to it. But then when I let those walls fall away, I realized that this experience too, this adventure will also carry me forward and allow me to support other people. And I have such a newfound respect and admiration for first responders. It's work that I could not do. So entering into this place of hot and cold, it certainly felt like it would kill me at times. But I'm also fuller because of it. I've discovered my boundaries and maybe even just a little bit expanded those a little bit more. So next week we begin our three month summer ongo. And it's a time for us to really commit to intensifying our practice, to really look at our lives, not just look at it, but, look at it, but to, to meet it as fully as we can, to go to those places of hot and cold. No running, no hiding. But then I find at least that when I stop running, I realized that there was no need to run in the first place. Nango will look different for all of us. Some of us will start it on retreat. Some of us will be sitting from home. And some of, some of us will just be sitting when we can sit. Whatever it looks like for you, take this time to really dive in and be curious. And also have some humor about it too. Otherwise things can get too heavy. And whatever you wanna call it, peaceful dwelling, equanimity, the middle path. This is a time for us to really discover what that means for us. <laughs> 